we're talking about Father's Day today, and I've specifically to have Star Wars up on the screen behind me. Uh, yes, I'm a Star Wars fan, and that's part of the reason, the rationale for having it up there, but I also wanted to have church be exciting and enjoyable and be people wonder, what are we, what is this, what are we talking about Star Wars today on Father's Day? So a couple things with that is, you've already heard me mention about the Dutch language and Karina's first language is Dutch. Uh, the word for father in Dutch is Vader. And if you're familiar with the Star Wars story at all, there's a character named Vader in the Star Wars stories um, who's a little bit of an evil character. Uh, he is a father, and there's a famous line that you may have heard from the movies. Uh, it's often quoted incorrectly, actually, where it says, I am your father. It's not actually the correct quote. Um, but Vader is speaking to Luke in the story and tells him that he is his father. Spoiler alert, I'm sorry if you haven't watched the Star Wars movies. Underneath, you'll see a little text that says, this is the way. And I'm carrying on with the Star Wars theme is, there's a series right now out on uh, Disney+, Plus. I think it is, it's called The Mandalorian. And within The Mandalorian, there's a whole path and a whole story about, this is the way. And they, this is one of the things that they communicate to each other. And this is very intentional, because we're going to talk about Christ followers and how in the time that they were new Christ followers, they were called the way. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that today as well. So, as we get started, a long time ago, in a galaxy, no, in a desert, far, far away, we're going to read from Acts Acts 9, 1-30. to 30. So if you have your Bibles with you or if you'd like to look it up on your phone, we're going to read from Acts 9, 1-30. to 30. It's a lot of scripture, but there's a lot of good things to be said in there as well. Within, within as we go through it, there's five sort of main pieces that I want you to look at as, as we go into read the scripture. Firstly, we're going to see about how there was an awakening that happened through an appearance of Christ. We're going to see how Paul was baptized by a, a guy named Ananias, and we're going to talk about Ananias today as well. How, he, how Paul immediately left and went and preached the faith of Christ, and then how he was persecuted for that same faith. So as we go, well, let's take a look here at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 30. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. When you hear that, I also want you to think the ways followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. He found there. He wanted to bring them both, men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, 
a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a, vo- a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city. You will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to, go over to Straight Street. Also, get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying for me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And is he authorized by the and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls your name? But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come to arrest them and take them into chains and leading them to the priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching him for day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. Understandably so. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had been seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of, the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around preaching, went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated in some Greek, he debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about they took him to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. God, thank you for this story that you provided for us this morning. 
And we pray that as we spend the next few minutes digging into your scripture and, and learning about who you are, about who these characters of the Bible are, God, that you would work in our hearts and in our minds and know that we connect with one of these characters in this story here, God, and ultimately we connect with you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. So hopefully as I was reading this story to you this morning, there was a little bit of excitement that was being read, and you're like, are you sure that this is from the New Testament and this isn't from some, like, script that's on Netflix right now? Right? Like, this is a pretty cool story here. Right? So, not content to root out Christianity in Jerusalem, Saul receives permission from the high priest to go to Damascus and bring back Jesus' followers for trial in Jerusalem. Now, we talked about this, I mentioned this already, but he was seeking after the people who belonged to the way. And if you want to think about this from the perspective of Star Wars again, there's another series out on Netflix, or sorry, on Disney Plus right now called Obi-Wan. And the, what's happening in that series is we have, and as throughout the main plot of almost all the Star Wars movies, we have a sect that is deviated away from the mainstream and the mainstream doesn't like it and are going to the ends of the galaxy to destroy them. What we have here is Paul, while he's still known as Saul, who's been given orders to execute execute those who have deviated from the mainstream. And he's doing it with passion. So those who belong to the way, the name described in the Christian community and the message that it proclaimed, the way. And if you're familiar with scriptures, you may have heard in scripture that Christ is referred to the way, the truth, and the life. The name is for Christian church as as its declaration that Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again for salvation of the sinners. The proclamation included the call to repent, believe, and obey God. If we go back into the Old Testament, We'll see that the way is a reference we see in the Old Testament as well. The word way simply means road. The way, of the, the way of the Lord is the road which God takes. It is the way he takes when he approaches people. And we can see this in Psalm 67. The first thing that we have to understand is about the Old Testament, the way the Lord refers to the saving power of God. It refers to the road that God takes as he comes to sinful man with the promise of salvation. The teaching of Christ is similar to this. And we see Jesus in this story as well. And as I mentioned, we see in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, are the words of Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is the way. In Christ, God approached us once and for all time. God's promise of salvation, as he spoke it repeatedly in the Old Testament, finds fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's powerful way of salvation. Considering the background, it's no wonder that the, these people called themselves the way as they're, they're deviating from 
at what was time of the mainstream and, and starting to follow Christ. They understood that Jesus Christ was the one who died for their sins and arose victorious over death. They understood that he, they had to believe in him. They understood that they had to love him, serve him, obey him. There was no other way. So, we resume back to the story of Saul traveling to find these people who are following in the way. As Saul nears Damascus at noon, a bright light shines in him and the other men traveling with him. And Paul falls to the ground and hears a voice. Now, I don't know what, what I would do if I was carrying on away with a couple of my buddies and I, all of a sudden I heard a voice. I would probably fall to the ground as well. Maybe out of fear, maybe out of confusion. And he hears a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the response is, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. Now, there's something here that I want you to take away from this that is, it might seem insignificant in the text as you re- read over it. Saul, comma, Saul. This is very intentional. On Mount Menorah, Abraham has been instructed to sacrifice his son Isaac, and, and Abraham was about to plunge the knife into Isaac. An angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham's response is, here I am. When God called to Moses within the burning bushes, he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses' response Here I am. God encouraged Jacob to go to Egypt in Genesis. And he called to him and God spoke to to Israel in visions in the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And his response is, here I am. And now we have Paul on the road to Damascus. Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul. He doesn't say, here I am. Right? His response is different. Who are you? It's important to note that the use of the double name, when we hear it, this is intentional. And it's almost like a grounding where he's calling out and saying, Mark, Mark, I know you. I know who you are. Let's have a conversation here. He's coming in and saying intimately, this isn't a stranger. I know you. Saul, Saul, I know you. Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses. There's intentionality behind the double use of the name. So Saul's name is a Hebrew name. Saul... And uh, he's came from the, he went by that name among the citizens of Rome. He was by Paul. He was born in Tarsus. His father and mother were native Jews. Therefore, he called himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. He had likewise a trade, the tent making, for earning maintenance and avoiding idleness. And this was part of the thing that was also happening culturally at the time. And now, as if you were to look into this, and this might be one of the more common stories that you've heard throughout 
your time in church or if you're new to church. This is probably a story you're going to hear several times over if you, if you come to church. And it's often referred to as Paul's conversion. What I would like to challenge you today with is a little bit of something different. I'd like to challenge you, instead of thinking about it as a conversion, I want you to think about a calling. And some people might just say, oh, it's just semantics. But I think that there's real value when we look at it and we think about this as a calling on Paul. I think sometimes, too, when we hear the story, we think of that moment where he encounters Jesus and it's an immediate conversion. But as we read through the story, there's a process that's involved here, right? Saul goes blind. His buddies have to take him into the city. And then he fasts for several days. This would have been a practice that Saul was familiar with. And he was possible that in his mind, and this is somewhat speculation, in his mind he's thinking, well, I'm blind, so part of what I can do is I can fast and I can pray to see if I can have my store, my sight restored. Now, there is obviously scriptural text that talks about this as well and how Christ is sending somebody for Paul so he can receive his sight again. But fasting during that time would have been something that Paul, or sorry, Saul at the time would have been familiar with. And during this moment, this, this calling moment that we have, God made him understand, God made Saul understand the true identity of Jesus, who he had been, who he had been refusing and who he was chasing after, the people who were following him. He was choosing to take after those who are in the, wor- the way, the ones who were following Christ, and Paul was executing them. His religious zeal had nothing to do with maybe blind fanaticism. And we think of Saul, we often think about, oh man, this guy was killing Christians. At the time when this was happening, Paul truly believed that what he was doing was the best thing for his faith at the time. He was fanatic, but he was fanatically passionate about protecting his faith. And so I want you to take that image of Paul or Saul as this evil person, this bad guy, and I want you to think about it slightly differently, that he was so passionate about the faith that he was following that this is what he believed that God had asked him to do or what was called on his life to do at the time until he has this encounter with Jesus. And if we look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 13-15, in his own words, I had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, a rabid enemy. However, he, God, took mercy on me because I did not know what I was doing when I opposed the faith. And the grace of the Lord was more abundant together with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is true and worthy of belief. Christ came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the first. And so as we, as we get familiar with Paul and Saul, the same person, we come to the spell called Ananias. And Ananias has been maybe overlooked in, in some Bible stories, especially within this story we think of that... that that big moment on the road to Damascus. And we, we maybe even liken our testimonies, our stories that we have of our faith to these Damascus road moments, these turning moments these in Christ. And 
I do not want to discount those. There are those moments, and I encourage those moments to happen. But we also have this character, Ananias. He was a follower of Jesus, and you have to keep in mind that he wouldn't have been a follower of Jesus for very long, maybe a couple of years at the most. And he knew who Paul slash Saul was, and in his humanity asked God for clarification. So we get this calling out to Ananias, and we have Ananias' response. Here I am. Okay, God gives him very specific instructions. I need you to go down to Straight Street. I need you to take a left here. Go down here, and you're going to visit this guy. Very, very specific instructions. How nice would it be if God would give us some very specific instructions like that once in a while? Right? And Ananias gets these very specific instructions, and he's like, um... You know who Saul is, right? He's that guy that's coming around and killing all of the guys that are like me, following Jesus. He's like, yeah, I know who he is. I need you to go lay hands on him, pray with him, because I have big things planned. And Ananias' response is, okay, let's go. So in the vision, the Lord tells Ananias to go to Saul at Judah's house and lay hands on him so they can see again. Jesus has already given Saul the vision that Ananias would come. Ananias obeys and, and goes to Saul. He lays hands on Saul, and immediately Saul's blindness is healed. Saul also receives the Holy Spirit in this moment and is baptized. Luke reports that Saul spends several days learning about Jesus from the Christians in Damascus. He then proclaims in the synagogues, in Damascus, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this would have been, this is a little bit of an interesting piece as well, that Saul would have leaned on his position of power and authority and experience and knowledge and that he had to be able to get himself into those synagogues and then to be able to share this word that he had. They would have been surprised by what he had to say. He used his clout to preach Jesus in the synagogues. And in Galatians chapter 1, you've heard me, pre- my previous activity in the Jewish community. I fer- ferociously persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. For I was more devoted to the Jewish religion than my fellow Jews, and I defended the traditions of my ancestors frantically. But one day, God called out to me. It's a calling, not a conversion. Think about that. God called out to me out of great love and who had chosen me from my mother's womb. We're going to hear those words again later on. And he was pleased to reveal that I might know him. And so this brings me to the so what. What does this matter? What are we talking about Star Wars today? On Father's Day, what are we talking about here with the story of, of Paul and Saul and Ananias? What I really want you to take away from this is that I think you can relate wherever you're at in your life, whether you're listening online, here in person. I think that you can relate to one of those two characters in that if you are a Saul character, you're like, man, I got dragged to church today. I don't want to be here. You're watching a line. I don't know how this showed up in my feed, but I'm suddenly watching this, this story about this guy named Paul. 
Paul or whatever his name was. I'm not sure. I'm a little bit confused. But that he was a bit of a bad dude in the senses of going out and persecuting, committing all kinds of crimes against these Christians, if you want to think about it from that perspective. He was, we could say, far away from God. And that when God calls his name, he's not really sure of the voice that he's hearing. Or, are you like Ananias? You've become a Christ follower. You're following Christ. Maybe for a couple of years, maybe for several years. When God calls your name, Mark, Mark, Beniah, Beniah. Is your response, here I am? Are you familiar with what God's voice sounds like in such a way that you can say, here I am, when he calls you? So it's Father's Day, and I'll start to wrap this up. And we started this service today, and Michael shared about Jesus calling the children to him. And we first read that text. The disciples kind of sound like they're coming off a little bit harsh. No, 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 don't bother Jesus. Don't bother him. Keep the kids away. But actually, what they might have been doing is that they were recognizing what Jesus was going through on his way to Jerusalem to face the cross, to face his death. And out of a bit of a kindness to Jesus, out of a bit of maybe a respect or a protection of Jesus, they were trying to protect, protect Jesus. He's, he's got a lot going on right now. He doesn't need to be dealing with these kids. But Jesus rebuked them. And we maybe want to think about it, like maybe when dad comes home, had a long day at work or out in the field or whatever it happens to be, he's got a lot going on in his mind. Maybe he's overwhelmed, stressed, thinking about a lot of things. And he, he comes to the house, and the kids come to you, and it's just like, well, just need some time. Just give me a second. Dads, can you relate to this? I just need a second. But Jesus doesn't respond in that way. He calls them in. I'm going to share you a little bit of story from my, from my life. Unfortunately, I'm all too familiar with the words, I just need some time, not right now. And that I had a, a family member who was going on a date, and he stopped in at his dad's office just to say, hey, dad, I'm going on a date. His dad's response was, I'm sorry, I don't have time right now. I'm really busy with some work stuff that's going on. And so he left and went on a date. But he didn't ever get to the end of that date. Before they even got to where they were trying to go, they were in a head-on car crash. And both of them died in the car. And this pains me to think about that I have a family member who's one of the last words that he ever got to speak to his son was, I'm sorry, I don't have time right now. And I know that I've been guilty of coming into the house myself and looking at Karina and just being like, I just need a minute. But Jesus does not respond in that way. And how amazing is that? 
Jesus has a lot going on in his mind. He's facing death. And he stops and rebukes his disciples. No, let the kids come to me. He wasn't so overwhelmed or stressed or busy or distracted that he would prevent the kids from coming to him. On that note, I would like to give a brief pause to highlight those who work in the children and youth ministry here at church. And thank you for the work that you do. You pour into the lives of our children and our youth, and it is a blessing, and we thank you for that. Moreover, I want to thank you for the spiritual fathers and mothers and the parents that we have in the church and for the time that you spend with us and you that you say and you call us in. And we thank you for that. And one of the things that challenges me about this passage, and uh, it was read from, from Scripture this morning, you can also find the same Scripture in Luke, is that when I look at myself as a father, I realize how much I come up short compared to Jesus Christ. And obviously I'm going to come up short coming, comparing myself to Jesus Christ. When I look at myself as a father, I see what Jesus is going through and the kids are coming to him and he still says, let them come to me. He wasn't distracted from his mission. I wish my wife, wish my life was like that. I wish that I could not be accused of Benai saying to me, Dad, why did you say you needed more time? Even though he's only young, I know there have already been times in my life where as a father I can recognize that I haven't been the father that I could have or should have been. But there's good news, fathers. Through my journey as a father, I've heard God say to me, you won't always be there for him, but I will. It's been in my failures as a father that I've realized how perfect God as a father is. For Father's Day, it's a time of celebration for some. And I, this morning, we've had a lot of people shaking hands and saying, Happy Father's Day, up to even me specifically, and saying, Happy First Father's Day. And for me, it is, in this moment, it is joyous. But there are others who, for Father's Day, is a time of pain. And the thought of even coming to church on a, on a day like Father's Day is something they might have had to work themselves up to because they didn't have an earthly father. But here's the beautiful thing. Imperfect fathers can point to the perfection of Jesus Christ. He said that he would be the father to the fathers, and we heard Byron say those words already this morning. He'd be the father to the fathers. In, in fact, that he, in Scripture that means years and years ago, he knew how important it would be. For those who do not have fathers, it means that he realized years ago that from the beginning of time that he wanted the message for you today because he knew that there would be people years down the road that would not have an earthly father that he could relate to. So he put it in his word so that for all of time, everybody would know that he was their father, that God was their father. As we start to bring this to a close, I want to read from Psalm 139. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going and my lying down. 
You're familiar with all of my ways. Before the word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, and the night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I've shared with you this before uh, that I currently work on base here. And I frequently receive emails that have capital letters bluff at the top of it. And it stands for bottom line up front. The bottom line up front that I didn't give you today that I'm going to share with you now is that God doesn't want something from you but that he has something for you. And what I love about this text as we read Psalm 139 is that you may have been conceived by your parents, but that you were made by God. Your parents can have hopes and dreams for you, but God has more than hopes and dreams for you. God is not limited by hopes and dreams. He has a purpose for you. So when he formed you, and when you were brought together in your mother's room, regardless of how wonder your earthly parents were or were not, your purpose and your love is made complete in who who he is, and he is your father, despite how good or bad your earthly father may have been. As a father, the greatest thing I can do for Beniah. The greatest impact, the greatest investment, the greatest gift that I can give him is as we prayed about this morning, is that I can show him a life of an imperfect father that ultimately points to God the Father. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This morning, no matter where you find yourself, if you find yourself connecting to Saul as this like, if you only knew what I'd done in my life, there is no way you could think that I could be a Christian. God has bigger plans. If he can take Saul and turn him into Paul, with the calling on his life to go into the nations and preach the gospel, he can do incredible things with your life as well. And not only can he do incredible things with your life, 
Scripture tells us that He has purposed you and your life. While you were knitted in your mother's womb, He had purpose for you and He had love for you. So no matter where you were at in your life, know that God loves you and that He has a purpose for you and that you're going to do amazing things through Him. If you find yourself connected to Ananias, that you're already a Christian, maybe for a couple of years, maybe for a few years, know that God has a plan for you and that he's, he's calling to you by your name in a loving way and He's looking for you to respond saying, Here I am, Lord. And He may give you very specific instructions to go down to Straight Street and go to the red door and talk to the person inside. And he may give you directions like he gave to others in Scripture where the direction is go. Well, where? Go. And as you go, I'll walk with you and talk with you along the journey. But be faithful to taking that step. God will never let you down. You will never be alone. If you let him wrap your arms around If you let him wrap his arms around you, he will take you and he will walk with you through pain, through hardship, and he will be the father like you never had. So if you're here this morning and you need prayer, we will have a time for that. Uh, We're going to have a time where we have the kids come up in a minute here. And at the end of the service, I'll come back up and I'll close with a benediction. At the end of that, if you'd like prayer, if you would like to be introduced to Jesus Christ so that you can have a relationship with Him and, and live out that relationship with God the Father, come up to the front and one of us here will pray for you. Maybe Father's Day has been a tough time for you and maybe it was a challenge even coming here this morning or if you're watching online. Somebody here will pray with you and that you do not have to leave here today and walk out the same way you came in. You can walk out with a new picture of Father's Day and know that you are the son and the daughter of the King of Heaven and the inheritance is yours. Just close in a word of prayer. Father God, You are the perfect Father. And we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for everything that you're going to do for us. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here today on Father's Day and that we can celebrate our earthly fathers and we can spend time with them, but that we can also spend time with our Heavenly Father. And how wonderful you are, God. We pray to thank you for meeting us individually, one-on-one, and calling us by name while we were still in our mother's womb. You knew us, and you had a purpose for us, God, and that is incredibly exciting. And God, as we go about today, we pray that you bless the fathers, the grandfathers that are here today, that they can... Enjoy the time with their families. We pray for the young ones that are here as well, that they can spend meaningful time with their fathers as well.
God, we pray to thank you for your scripture and that we can dig into this word today on Father's Day and get to know more about who you are. And that ultimately we can walk away knowing that for all of eternity we have a Father who loves us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.